Hey, welcome to the first service of the year in person. And we're beginning a new series today called You in Five Years. You in Five Years. So over the holidays, I asked my oldest grandson, Josiah, would you please take a picture of me and put it through the, you know, the app that says what you're going to look like in five years? And so here was his first attempt. I said, Josiah, that can't possibly be right. Can you take another picture? Here was his second attempt. And I said, never mind. Don't worry about it. But it had got me thinking, right? What do you want to look like? You can take that down. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yes, yes. That's, that's my aspirational me. I'm just saying, my aspirational me is that guy right there. Okay? You think I can do that in five years? Yeah, there wasn't nearly the amount of, uh, I don't know. But it got me thinking, what, what do you want to look like in five years? What do you want to be like in five years? Are you like me? We just live in the moment. You know? We're thinking like a month in advance. Maybe even six months in advance. But what kind of a person do you want to be in five years? What kind of a person do you want to be relationally? What do you want your marriage to look like in five years? Some of you are going to get married this year. Some of you may not be married by the end of the year. Some of you are like, I want my kids to turn out a certain way. Well, well how? How do you want your kids to turn out in five years? Some of you want more friends. Okay, what's your plan in the next five years to develop a greater system of friends? Financially, where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to be debt-free in five years? Do you want to pay off your credit card? Do you want to save to buy a car in five years? Some of you are thinking, I'd like to buy a house in the next five years. What, do you want to fully fund your retirement in the next five years? What do five years look like financially for you? Physically. Um, this is a touchy one. Be careful, Mark. What do you want to look like in five years? You want to look like th that guy up there? You want to lose some weight? You want to lower your cholesterol? You want to do a marathon this year? Maybe that for, for you, for some of you, it's like today, you know, this year is the year I'm going to do my, my marathon. What do you want to look like physically? And then most important of all, spiritually. What do you, what do you want to look like spiritually in five years? Do you, do you want to be closer to the Lord than what you are at this moment? Do, do you want to learn really how to pray like a prayer warrior, like you're really connecting with God in the next five years, better than what you are right now? Maybe for some of you, the, the big goal is, you know, you just want to be able to read and understand God's word on a level that as of this moment, you're not able to do so. Those are all worthy goals. But here's what you need to know. While hoping to be different in five years in some key areas while wishing that you'll be different in the next five years in some key areas. That's all good, but listen, hope 
isn't a strategy. Hope provides a little shot of adrenaline to get you motivated, but it's not going to keep you motivated because, listen, who you are tomorrow is based almost completely on the habits that you are doing right at this moment. So here's the theme of the whole message. If you want to change the trajectory of where you want to go in five years, you've got to change the habits that you have right here at this moment because you are the sum total of the habits that you have and it sets the trajectory of your life. So that's what this series is about. If you want a better tomorrow, you got to start today with some healthy, godly habits. So what is a habit? A habit is simply this. It's you on behavioral autopilot. It's the things that you do that you don't even really think about that much anymore. They're just automatic. You know, people that study habits say that 40% of everything we do, every decision we make, 40% of every action that we have in our life on a daily basis is purely out of habit. Usually, people have a habit of brushing their teeth every day. Usually, people have a habit of taking a shower every day. So the thing is, you don't even really think about it anymore. You just get up and brush your teeth. You just get up and take a shower because that's what you do. You don't even really give it that much thought. The Bible has a lot to say about habits, although oftentimes the word habit isn't used Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. For example, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel, we're told, prayed three times a day, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He prayed three times a day in his home facing Jerusalem, as was his custom. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says that Jesus went on the Sabbath day to the synagogue, as was his usual custom. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not, collect, do not neglect gathering together as some of you are in the habit of doing. I don't know, but that verse always encourages me because it lets me know that even way back in New Testament times, just a few years after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, there was people that were like, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. But then they're like, they got to be encouraged. Oh, yeah, 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 you need to go to church because church is the place that God's people gather to worship and get corporate nourishment together and learn how to pray together. In other words, you, you do church you know, is, is a community of believers, right? And so there are some people that were saved, but they weren't in the habit of going to church. And the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, yeah, that, that's something that you ought to pick up, right? So over the course of the next six weeks, including today, I want to talk about what it means to develop godly habits. And so today I want to talk about Why is change so hard? Because change really is hard. Why is it so hard to change? And there's three resources other than the Bible that I've been drawing on that have been feeding my own soul, so I want to put those up. The first is Robert Quinn's book, Deep Change. This is not just a book on personal change, but it's actually a book on how do you change systems. Um, If you're a manager at work, if you're a school teacher, um, what, what, wherever you find yourself, how do you actually change the systems 
in your work environment. I found that book to be very helpful. The second is, of course, James Clear book, um, Atomic Habits. That's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's wonderful. And then Craig Groeschel just put out a book called The Power to Change. I love that book. And I'd encourage you to get all three of those books. And over the next six weeks, just kind of work through them. Or, or this year, maybe you need to develop the habit of reading. Here's what, here's what I found out this year. The average person, once they graduate from high school, never reads another book again. The average person. Now, some of you are like, not me. Right? Maybe you should develop the habit of reading. Okay. <clears throat> Why is it so hard to change? I want you to think for a moment of one thing in your life that you would like to change. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but just one thing. You have it? Just one thing. Now, over the course of the next 20 minutes, just keep that one thing in mind, okay? So, number one, why is it so hard to change? I think a lot of time it's because we don't have a big enough why. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, so why do you want to lose weight? Because the summer is coming and I want to have a beach bod. Okay, that's a reason. Because I went to the doctor and the doctor told me I'm pre-diabetic and I better get my act together. Okay, that's a reason. Because I want to be more attractive and I'm trying to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. That's a reason. But how many of you know that just because you have a why, sometimes that why isn't big enough to actually change what you know needs changing? What about your finances? Why do you want to get healthier in your finances? Well, because I can go on a nicer vacation. Okay, that's a reason. Well, because I want to be able to fund my kids' college. Oh, okay, that's a reason. Why, why do you want your marriage to get better? Well, because I don't want to be unhappy. Okay, that's a reason. But you know, the Apostle Paul says that the biggest why that we have is, listen to this, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So here's what that means. Whatever why you have behind what you want to change most oftentimes, that why isn't big enough, and we need to trade it in for a bigger why. And for the Christian, so if you're a Christian today, if, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're growing, right? So if you're a Christian, the biggest why that you have is for the glory of God. So here's the way it looks. Why do you want to lose weight? For the glory of God. Okay, that doesn't sound too compelling. Well, wait a minute. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And your body is the only tool that God has given you in which to reflect his glory. Now, I'm going to wade into the difference between sovereignty and providence and God's will, but here's, here's where my mind goes sometimes. You can feel free to disagree. Sometimes I think, let me just put it on ministers. Let me just put it on ministers. I won't talk about you, I'll talk about ministers. 
Sometimes I think that ministers shortchange their ministry because they get into failing health because they didn't take care of their bodies. And I know some pastors that because they haven't taken care of their bodies, the tool that God has given them, they have to step out of ministry because they're no longer healthy enough. Or they're just trying to limp their way to 65 or 70. And sometimes ministers die because they didn't take care of their bodies. And I just wonder, I mean, listen, I just wonder if when they get to heaven, if the Holy Spirit is like, hey, I love you, I'm glad you're here, but you had 20 more years in you if you would have taken care of yourself better. You see, it's one thing to say, I want to get healthier because I want to feel good. It's another thing to say, I want to get healthier so I can stick around to talk to, talk to my grandchildren and great-grandchildren about Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? Why, listen, why do you want to get healthier financially? I get it. We, we want to have financial margin. We want to have a sense of security. We want to make sure that we have, you know, you know, pay our bills, all of that. All of that's good. But you know what the big why is for getting healthy financially? For the glory of God. Okay, what does that mean? Here it is. From Genesis to Revelation, this is a biblical principle. The purpose of excess financially is generosity. Increased generosity to give to God's kingdom and to other people. So if you got your finances together, that would mean you'd have more financial margin, which would in turn mean you'd have a greater opportunity to bless the kingdom of God. I'm not just talking about tithing, okay? This isn't like my backwards door into getting in to talk about tithing. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity in which you could look around and say, oh, my neighbor needs some help here and I'm, I have the, the financial resources to bless my neighbor. Okay, so why, why do you want God to bless your marriage? Why, why do you want to be married? Why do you want to have a happy marriage? You know what the biblical answer is? For the glory of God. Okay, well, what does that mean? That doesn't sound too compelling. Well, let's think about it from this perspective. There are two primary metaphors in the New Testament for the Christian life. The first is spiritual warfare. We're all in a war, right? The second is marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And so... A biblical, a Christian marriage is supposed to reflect the glory of God. Your marriage is a testimony to the world of God's love and faithfulness to individuals. So your marriage, two have become one flesh, is supposed to reflect our relationship with God so that when other people look at our marriage, they go, how are they married 50 years and still love each other? Look at how kind and gracious they are to one another. It doesn't mean that your personalities don't exist even you know, when, when you're married. It, it, it means that you bring your individuality and you have a greater unity. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so your marriage should reflect the glory of God. So all I'm saying is this. Sometimes it's really hard to change because we don't have a big enough why. How many of you know what you're supposed to do and change and still haven't done it? Your why is too small. Get a bigger why, and then you'll change. Number two, I got worked up over that point. I don't know why. 
You don't know your who. You do not know your, your who. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. Okay, you have three voices in your head at any given time. Of those three voices, some are louder than others, depending upon the context. Here's the first voice, what I call important voices. So the first voice in your head is actually lots of voices in your head, important voices. These are the voices of your parents. These are the voices of your employer. These are the voices of your your friends. These are just the voices that are all significant to you. Now, here's the thing. Many of you have grown up in an environment in which those voices, most of them were good and wonderful and positive. Some grew up in an environment where those important voices weren't so good. And you got a lot of negative messages. And so when you think about your identity, your who, you have voices in your head telling you things that aren't good about yourself. So important voices is one. The second is you have the voice of the Holy Spirit. At any given time, you have the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I'm of the opinion that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us at all times. We just need to tune in. When we talk about God being silent, yes, there are seasons in our life in which God is silent. We call that the dark night of the soul. We call that the wilderness. I understand. But apart from those seasons, the reality is most of the time God is speaking to us. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through worship. And what does God say to us? about us. I've, I've listed a couple. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The Holy Spirit says to you, you are a new creation in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You are no longer condemned. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. You are forgiven. 1 John 3, 1. You are deeply loved. John chapter 8, verse 36, you are free in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you're, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Philippians 4, 13, you are able to do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Now listen, the more you listen to that voice, the more confident you will become with your who. Okay, so you've got one voice, which are the important voices. You've got a second voice, which is the voice of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know you have a third voice? And it's a darker voice. The Bible says that we have a spiritual enemy, the devil, Satan. This is what Jesus said about the devil. John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, here's what I've discovered for Mark. See if it's true for you. What I've discovered is, is that I have a third voice inside of me, and that third voice, the liar, 
the deceiver, Satan, doesn't usually speak his own words. He usually speaks the words of the first group, the important people, and exploits all the negative messages that you've received growing up and through the years. He amplifies them. Maybe you grew up and your mom or dad just weren't very affirming to you. You know what the devil does? He just puts an amplifier on that. And whenever you go to do something, that's all you hear. Oftentimes the devil is silent. You know why he's silent? He doesn't need to say anything. He's just amplifying what's already been reverberating in your head through the years. And here's what the devil says to us oftentimes. You have your own language, but here's what people have said to me and here's what I've had in my own head through the years. You're not smart enough. You're not enough. You're defective. Well, you have an addictive personality, so you're always going to struggle with You'll always be broken. You don't deserve to be happy. You'll never have real friends. You're not worthy of love. You've messed up too much for God to forgive you. Now you see, this is what happens. Everything that those important voices, everything that the Holy Spirit says, and everything that Satan says to you, amplified through the important voices, all of it has to do with your who? Your identity. It's your identity that keeps you from changing. It's the voices inside your head that are telling you who you are that's keeping you from changing. So if you want to change, here's what you need to do. You need to turn down the volume of that darker voice and turn up the volume of the other voice, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, it's almost like you step into a room and you have to turn up the volume. I came home a couple months ago. This is funny because Holly's not here. I'm not saying this in the second service. I came home and I pull in the driveway and music is blasting. I can hear it from the driveway. And I walk into the house to Holly and one of our daughters dancing like crazy people in the living room. And I thought, how beautiful, how wonderful, pure joy being expressed. But the music was up really loud. Sometimes you need to turn the music up really loud on one voice to drown out another voice. You know how you turn the music up? We call that spiritual disciplines. Embrace boring. I'm going to say this next week, and I'm going to say it pretty much every single week. We think boring is our enemy. Boring is our friend. I didn't say that. James Clear did in Atomic Habits. He said, if you want to become great, learn to be bored. Because great people do boring things for hours a day. That's what makes them great. Athletes spend hours a day training their body. Musicians spend hours a day doing scales. That's what makes them great. We're afraid of boring. 
We shouldn't be. We should be embracing boring. So here's what I think. I think we ought to lean into Bible reading, Bible memorization, digesting God's word. Now, why do I put that under boring? Because many of you are making New Year's resolutions that says, I'm going to have my devotions every single day. And that's going to last until January 13th. You know why January 13th? Because that's the day when most resolutions are broken. They last 13 days. So here's what I want to say to you. If your thing is, is that you need to get into God's word more, if you want to learn to pray more, maybe for some of you, it's like, I'm not going to miss a single Sunday this year in worship unless, you know, I'm providentially hindered. You know, I got a flat tire along the road, or I'm going to be sick. Okay, that's a good goal, right? But there are going to be many Sundays in which you're like, yeah, I don't want to go to church anymore. And you're going to have to do boring. You're going to have to get up, come to church with no emotion, with even maybe a little crummy attitude. I don't want to be here. Because you're learning habits. And it's through boring that God begins to speak. Okay, enough about that. You need to get a bigger why. You need to get a bigger who. Third, I think the reason why it's really hard to change is because we don't understand that willpower isn't enough. Zechariah 4, 5 says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I think we have this idea that if we just had more willpower, we'd be able to change the things that need to be changed in our lives. I want to create a different paradigm. I don't think it's all about willpower. I think think willpower is part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. Every year, our family takes a vacation to Knobles Amusement Park. Both of our daughters and their families, they come in, and we have a great time for a week. This past year, our oldest daughter, Bethany, and her family brought two electric bikes. I'd never ridden an electric bike before. And so they said, Dad, you, you, you want to go for a five-mile ride? And I said, absolutely, I want to get on an electric bike. And so I'm pedaling away, pedaling away, having a great time. And I started going up this one hill, and I'm like, oh, man. And then I pressed a little button. I went right up. Right? Man, that felt good. I did that several times. Now, here's what I think. I think that us riding a bike is our own willpower, And when we get to a hill, we get discouraged. We get off the bike or we're just slogging away, trying and we're huffing, puffing. But listen to this. The Bible says we have the Holy Spirit to help us. And the Holy Spirit's like an electric bike. When we get tired, God's power kicks in. Now, the real question though is, what does the Holy Spirit's power look like? I think Most people think that the Holy Spirit's power is like this inward energy inside of us, this inward sense of, you can do this. I don't think so. I actually don't think that that's God's power. Do you remember the story of Elisha needing a word from God? 
and there was an earthquake, and there was a violent storm, there was a great wind, big fire. And the Bible says that God wasn't in any of those things. But Elisha heard a very small voice. And he put his cloak over his head and came out, and God gave him a word. So I'm at the refrigerator over Christmas and I pull out another piece of pie and I start eating it in front of the refrigerator. Can I get a witness? Come on, how many of you? Right? Okay. And a little voice said to me these words. Eating that pie is not going to make you happy. This is gross. Sorry if you're a part of the online campus. Sorry. I walked over to the trash can and went <laughs> and put the pie away. That actually happened to me three or four times over the course of the holidays. One, it was pie, one, it was cake, one, it was brownies. Do you see a theme? Here's what I think. For me, I think that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't give me any energy to be like, I'm never eating pie again. Nope. There was just a little voice. That's not going to make you any happier. So here's what I think. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time. And we have a choice whether we're going to listen and do. That's on us. That's not on the Holy Spirit. That's on you. That's on me. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit comes to us in his power and whispers to us the things that we already know we're supposed to do and are not doing it, and we need to make a decision at that moment, am I going to do what I know I should do after I've heard that little voice in my head say, that's not going to make you any happier. That is not willpower. That is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not going to overwhelm you with some emotion most of the time, sometimes. But most of the time, the Holy Spirit's going to whisper in your ear what you already know isn't going to make you happy. So here's what I think. I think that some people wrestle with pornography and you're on the computer and I think the Holy Spirit says, stop, that's not healthy, that's destructive. That's going to that's gonna hurt our relationship and you're going to have to make a decision. Am I shutting it down or am I going to push through? Some of you are standing at a cash register at Kohl's and you're putting out your credit card and a little voice in your head is saying, you cannot pay off this purchase this month and it's simply going to add to your credit card debt and you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to listen to that little voice? Or am I just going to charge once again? Some of you in your marriage, you're struggling with resentfulness. You're struggling with 
forgiving your spouse for something they've done or just an argument that you had this morning before you come to church? Come on, how many of you know that the devil loves to put an argument at your doorstep as you're walking out the door to go to church? You're sitting next to each other, you're looking spiritual, but on the inside you're like, "Mm, I'm so mad at him. (laughs) And you're gonna have to make a decision because you hear this little voice that says, grace. How many times have you messed up? And you're gonna have to make a decision. For some of you, you've got a bottle sitting at your table at home, pills or alcohol. And you hear this little voice that says, stop. That's not gonna make you happy. And you're gonna have to make a decision. Am I gonna listen to that little voice? I could go on and on and on. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? So here's what I think. We change when we have a big enough why. We change when we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells us who we really are because that gives us confidence and hope to say, I really can change. And we change when we're able to listen to the Holy Spirit and actually do what we know we're supposed to do because the Holy Spirit is right there. Listen, one of, my great, one of the great Bible verses in the Old Testament is, is that when the priests were standing on the edge of the Jordan River, they had to take a step out before the river stopped flowing. We're waiting for power before, and God says, as you go, I will give you the power. That's the difference between the two. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to stand. Can I have the lights back up, please? So, you in five years, here's what we're gonna do. Pull out your phone. I'm gonna ask everybody to take a selfie. You ready? Because in five years, you're going to pull out this selfie. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a selfie of you taking a selfie. You ready? Oh, I got my finger here. Okay, there we go. You ready? What do you want to look like in five years? You pull out that photo in five years, you'll remember at this moment what we talked about. Holy Spirit, we want the trajectory of our life to be better. We want to know you better. We want to understand your word better. We want to have a better prayer life. We wanna have better relationships. We want stuff that needs to get out of our life to get out of our life. And we want you to fill us with your spirit. But we've gotta start someplace. And today is the day where we say, if we want a better tomorrow, we've gotta change our habits today. Father, whatever voices that my brothers and sisters that are listening right now to in their head that says, yeah, that was a good message, but And whatever comes next, help them to realize that's not your voice. That's another voice. Give them the courage to amplify your voice and who you tell us we are. And all God's people said, amen.